Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? Jason Menes here. So glad to be with you guys here on another episode on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. So, so glad, so, so glad that you guys have tuned in today because there's nothing better than you and I getting into God's Word and learning not just what the Scripture teaches about, but using that as a way, the time that we can have together in with our Heavenly Father to just wash us in His Word. You know, I know there's a lot of civil unrest right now. There are a lot of issues and there are people who are getting sick and there are people who are losing their job. And perhaps maybe as you're listening, you've lost a loved one or you're going through a very trying time. I just encourage you to find rest. If you've been a a, a devoted partner in this ministry and you are just so thankful for the work that we have been doing, can you continue to pray for us? Go to standstrongministries.org, check out all the stuff that we have, books and articles and videos that are available for you. But also here in the podcast, if you maybe are new to the podcast or maybe you have gone through the chronological teaching of the Gospels with us, either way, I encourage you guys to go back through that. And if you went through it, let's say a few years ago with us and you didn't finish or you want to go through it with a, a group at your church, man, that would be awesome. And, and I, I would encourage you to take advantage of that. I've been talking to a lot of Christians lately. And one of the biggest things, sadly, that I've been hearing, even recently in a roundtable discussion with some Christian leaders saying, Jay, we got to get people in the word. We got to get people in the word. And I'm thankful for so many resources and so many people out there who are faithfully teaching God's word, reaching millions of people. When you combine all the work efforts that people are doing to teach people God's word, our little uh, you know, group here uh, that's reaching the world actually. And we're thankful for that. And we've had hundreds of thousands of people download and listen to these messages, but just our little piece of the pie, if you will, and teaching people the Bible is not to preach at people, you know, not to really give my opinion and tell a bunch of stories and a little bit of, a, of the Bible, but it's to go verse by verse. And that's why we started with the gospels to go through a chronological, chronological teaching to help people like you understand the context better in history, the language, culture, the social structures, customs, things like that. And then when you have a particular person, in this case, as we're going to be introduced with Paul today, who has a lot to say about a lot of things, we want to trace back and figure out, you know, his life and how God raised him up to do the work that God had called him to do. And so as we now are looking at Acts chapter 13, the message today is the rise of a new apostle. Now, if you've been following along, and again, if you want to get caught up, you can go to standstrongministries.org, click on podcast. We've got all these other resources, as I as mentioned, that are available for you. But now as we transition into chapter 13, this is a major transition actually in the Bible, in the book of Acts, because we are going away from Peter and we're now going to be focusing on Paul. We're going to be going away from the Jews for the most part, because now God's going to be raising up Paul to reach in this first missionary journey. Paul's going to be reaching the Gentiles. Now, if you're watching this podcast, I just put up a on the screen, 
you can see Paul's first missionary journey, the areas that he went around. If you want to go to Google or you got a Bible software, you can check out Paul's first missionary journey. But it kind of gives you an understanding of the extensiveness of this first missionary journey. So if you have a Bible, turn on or turn to Acts chapter 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. And here in this section, Paul and Barnabas are selected to spread the gospel. Luke writes, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, which is a common Jewish name, who was called Niger, which is a common Latin name for black, Lucius of Cyrene from North Africa, Mannion, which is a Greek name, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, which carries the idea, by the way, of just ministering together. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, if you notice what Luke does here, right off the bat is he gives a description of the leadership and it captures this ethnic diversity, these cultural differences that is among the early church. This is very significant, my friends, especially in the times we're living today, where everything is about, you know, racial inequality and people, of course, myself included, believe that all people are created equal. So we should have racial equality. We should be focusing on racial reconciliation, but not getting caught up in a lot of movements that are steering people away from the gospel and fighting for a form of injustice. And that in the process are discriminating and oppressing other people because they feel they're entitled to because they themselves feel like they've been impressed. That's not what we see here in scripture. We see a diverse group of people and that is so important because the church is never to be a place where we discriminate. Now, obviously when it comes to particular worldviews that oppose the Bible in, a, in the context of a church gathering, we're there to honor one true and living God, one Savior. The Bible says that we're one baptism, one faith, we're one body. There's one Spirit, the third person, the Trinity, that inspires us and convicts us and moves upon our hearts and illuminates us to understand Scripture. And as we gather, we're to equip the saints for the work in the ministry, that we're in this pillar and buttress of truth the Bible is referred to the church as. So that's different when we're saying, no, we, we oppose these particular reviews. But that's not discriminating the person, thinking that they're less or they're inferior. So you see this group of diverse people and notice among these groups of people, and I love this because, you know, you, you do think of this white hijacking, if you will, years and years later and making Jesus into this white savior figure that was only for the Caucasian people. You see right here that in this diversity are prophets and teachers and God raised up these men to speak to the people. So even in the early church, you go back to the standard of a prophet. And Deuteronomy chapter 18, 18 through 20, and you go back to Acts chapter 2, 17 and 18, you see prophets. You see people that God had used to do the work. To, so it's not just Paul and Barnabas. And Mannion, this is possibly an aristocratic child that was raised with Herod Antipas. And he would have been a well-educated older man by now. And notice he's among the group. So you don't just have diversity in terms of color but also background, educated, uneducated, Gentiles who were religious, Gentiles who weren't religious. Now, we don't know how these people came to saving faith, but they're worshiping, we're told here in verse two. So more Christians, what we see as they're worshiping, they're fasting 
And they did this as a form to seek and understand what God wanted them to do in the church. Remember, they were beginners. They were beginners. Paul hadn't even started his ministry yet. So they're seeking the Lord. And so they're fasting. Now, remember, this was a practice when you go back to the scriptures. And this is where I think they're pulling from because this is what they had. And we still have these examples today. You go to Nehemiah and you see how God raised up Nehemiah. And he's fasting in, in Nehemiah chapter one, verse four. What about Daniel the prophet in chapter nine, verse three? So the, the amazing thing is, is as these people are praying and they're seeking God and they're fasting, my friends, who does God through the Holy, who, I should say the Holy Spirit specifically, the third person of the Trinity, who, who, does, he, who does he anoint? He anoints Paul. This is significant because the church was praying and these prophets and teachers were gathering and they're seeking God's will to be done and the Holy Spirit prompts them to raise up Paul and Barnabas. Now the Vines Expository Bible Notes in reference to this term minister says this, this is the word from which we get liturgy. It refers to the performing of religious or charitable acts and service to God either by prayer and fasting or through meeting the needs of others. The root word means public minister, servant of the state. In the New Testament, the, this word is used to describe the Aaronic priesthood in Hebrews 10 and verse 11, as well as Christians serving the Lord by meeting the financial needs of other believers, Romans 15 verse 27. The focus is on service to God through the fulfillment of an office or ritual at one's own expense. Such acts were usually repeated over and over, end quote. So you see how they were ministering through the Lord. Now the church dedicated Paul and Barnabas as God spoke to them. And they laid their hands on Paul and Barnabas to further the work. So God gives them confirmation and through confirmation, there's dedication. So God confirms them that the people that he had called them, so they lay hands to confirm, to support, to partner. This is also used throughout Scripture in 1 Timothy 5, verse 5, 2 Timothy 1, verse 6. And they gave Paul and Barnabas notice supplies to go do their journey. Now we see elsewhere where the laying out of hands was an act to receive the Holy Spirit, which was significant. Acts 8, 17, Acts 9, 17, Acts 19, verse 6. But what's important here is how the church confirmed what God was doing and they send Paul and Barnabas and they supply them. So by the way, one of the things I just wanted to encourage you guys is one is when you seek God, he will answer. And we are to confirm, you know, that and not question that. And when God does confirm something and we devote our lives to it, that again, if it's, if God wants us to support it financially. So right now, if, if God has been, been, moving on your heart to support a particular ministry, you need to do that because it's people like you that help ministries like mine through Stand Strong Ministries to do the work that God has called us to do. Think about local churches. They're not public companies. They don't have shareholders. They have congregants. They have men and women such as yourself and like me who attend there regularly. That's our church family. And we tithe, we give so that men and women there that are serving can do the work that God has called them to do. And that's what the early church was doing. You go back to Acts 4, Acts 2, that's what the early church was doing. So now the second thing now we see in verses 4 through 12 is Paul and Barnabas minister 
in Cyprus. So notice it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, which is the seaport of Antioch. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, which is the first port from Seleucia, which was about 130 miles, by the way, from that area, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they'd gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, which is Bar, remember, is an Aramaic for the son of. So this means son of Jesus. So he was the proconsul of Sergius Paulus. This is, he ruled around AD 45 to AD 46. He was a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But LMS which means the learned one, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, which means asked of God, who was also called Paul, which means the Roman uh, cognomen, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. And when he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And then in verse 12, then the proconsul believed, then he saw what had occurred. And then when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So this is very powerful stuff because now, as we've been seeing already, there are demons, there are issues that are, that are arising among the people, but now there's a specific man possessed by a degree of demons here that are chasing Paul and Barnabas. Now, remember, Barnabas had many connections in Cyprus. If you go back to Acts 4, verse 36 and chapter 11, 19, and 20, you see his connection there. For this was, guess what? His hometown. Now, there was a large population of Jews that lived in Cyprus at this time, if you go back to chapter 11, verses 19 through 20. And so when, when, when they were traveling, notice, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews in Salamis. So Salamis was a very important city in Cyprus. So they had studied, they'd done their research, which is another thing that's important when we do missionary work. When God calls us is that you do planning that you put forth effort so that you are prepared. So this was a very important city. Barnabas knew that because of his being his hometown. Paul was aware of this. They had a large population of Jews. And remember, a few decades later, this um, what would happen, which is very sad in history, is, is many of these Jews that lived in Cyprus, and Salamis specifically, they were slaughtered because there was an uprising against the Romans. Now notice a colleague that is being brought along on the journey, John Mark. Remember, this was the cousin of Barnabas. We see this in Acts chapter 12, verse 25. He's mentioned later in the epistle to Colossae in Colossians 4, verse 10. And so when it says here in verse 6 that when they had gone through the whole island at, at, at Paphos, this is when they're introduced to Bar-Jesus. Now, Cyprus was overseen by a proconsul because the city was a Roman senatorial province. So again, you, you have a double whammy here large population of Jews, and then you have the Gentiles because of the influence that, that Rome had in this region. Now, Paphos was an ancient city that was uncovered, by the way, by archaeologists. And what's so fascinating 
uh, in Paphos. So you can think about the time in which Paul and Barnabas and John Mark are there. It housed many deities and looked to Jewish magicians and pagan rituals and magical writings. So when you dig up a lot of the history during this time, this was the culture at the time which Paul and Barnabas are there, which is another thing that's significant because as you're ministering to Jewish people, there's a mixture of paganistic rituals that are distorting it. And so you have a lot of doctrine of demons that are involved in this region when they arrive. Now, Herodotus, remember writing about Cyprus in the fifth century, he writes this, the foulest Babylonian custom is that which compels every woman of the land to sit in the temple of Aphrodite and have intercourse with some stranger at least once in her life, end quote. That's the area that Paul and Barnabas go to. Oftentimes in our mind, we don't actually get into the nitty gritty. We just kind of see it surfacey. We Like I showed you a map and this is the region. And we think, okay, they don't, they don't know Jesus. They don't know the gospel. They're going to come preach. No, this is the culture, my friends. They're going into a very paganistic, sexually enhanced culture. Now, one of the commentaries writes, Paleopathos remained the largest settlement and religious center in the western part of Cyprus since the early geometric period. That's roughly 900 to 700 BC until the end of the classical period, which is 480 to 323 BC. The, ras- the last ruler of Paleopathos was King uh, Nicholas, who moved the capital of his state to Neopathos, which is Lower Paphos district nowadays. The sanctuary of Aphrodite continued to flourish in the Roman era. Several Roman emperors honored the temple, including the Roman emperor Titus in AD 69. On his way to Egypt, the church was completely destroyed after the earthquake in 76 to 77 AD, but was soon rebuilt by the Romans. The new church was bigger and grander than the previous one, end quote. So that gives you in context the environment. So now we're introduced to this guy, Bar-Jesus, and what's interesting about how Luke describes him, again, he's mixed with Jewish practices with paganism. So this is syn- syncretism, okay? So when you're taking some type of ritualistic or formulation of a religion and you're mixing it with other practices that are paganistic, um, you know, synchristic. And it seems that he acts as an advisor to the proconsul. So you can see that they are not just seeking Roman law for guidance and for protection, but they're also seeking people that have magical powers, supposedly. Now, we're told here in verse 8 that Elymas, who's the learned one, he's a magician. And that's his name. And so he was giving advice. Now, Elymas, or, or Bar-Jesus, is a self-proclaimed sorcerer. So he cunningly moves in uh, to turn the pro-council away from listening to Paul and Barnabas. By the way, this is insight. When I'm dealing with spiritual warfare, I remind people, when you enter territories where Satan and his minions kind of rule and reign. And you go to Ephesians 6 and you see different you know, rulers and authorities and cosmic powers. And you see these rankings of different types of demons. There are stronger demons than others, okay? They're bigger demons, more powerful demons than others. But when you come in their territory, they are not going to let you get involved or take over lightly like anybody wouldn't, right? There are strongholds there. And so Paul and Barnabas, when they show up inspired and moved and enlightened by the Holy Spirit, this, these demons are on high alert. And so they're using, the demons are using Bar-Jesus to try to persuade the council to not listen to Saul and Barnabas. Now, it doesn't go in great detail about what he said, but notice in verse 9, but Paul, who was also called 
or Saul, who was also called Paul, filled the Holy Spirit, looked intently at Bar Jesus and says, you son of the devil. So Luke now refers to Saul, obviously here as Paul, now that he began his missionary journey to the Gentiles. So that's just a side note. Now, Peter had similar incident, remember a similar incident with Simon the sorcerer when you go back to Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 14 and 18 through 24. Now, Paul calls out the corruption of Alamus and pronounces judgment on him. So notice, remember, we as Christians go in the authority of the Lord. And when we, when we do the work of God and, you know, you're preaching the gospel, you're bringing light to darkness, there will be strongholds are there that we are called to remove them. We're not to allow these strongholds to dominate us, to, to dominate us. No, when, when, he, when, when Paul casts judgment on this sorcerer, notice the power that Paul had because mist and darkness fell upon him. So Elymas has no power over God. And he's blinded by the very darkness he worshipped. Now remember, Paul was blinded earlier in his life when he had the revelation, but it was different because as he was blinded, it was also, you know, obviously speaking to his blindness spiritually, but it was a way for God to humble him, for him to be just be a vessel. And he received that vision from Jesus. And we know that God brought a lot of care for people to take care of him in the process, like Ananias came there to minister to him. So then the pro-council believed when they saw what had occurred. This is also important because if you go back to the way Moses, he handled Pharaoh. And he, of course, he tried to look for his sorcerers and his magicians to outperform what Moses was doing. When we threw his serpent down and turned into a snake, it ate up the other snakes and showed the power that God had. And of course, the 10 plagues to follow. They couldn't reproduce that. They tried, but they couldn't do to that level, to that degree. So the power that Paul had in the spirit was certainly unlike anything the people in the region of Cyprus had ever seen or witnessed before. So when the pro-council believed here, the message was received by Paul and Barnabas. So going to Cyprus was a success. Now, Sir William Ramsey traces back some of the prominent families of Asia Minor who greatly impacted the region with the gospel in his classic book, The Bearing of Recent Discoveries on the Trustworthiness of the New Testament. The reason I mention that is because we, even when we, we read a verse like this, the pro-council believed, and then Paul moves on, we don't really do due diligence. We don't go and investigate and say, well, what happened afterwards? What took place? Well, Sir William Ramsey wrote this book bearing uh, on the recent discoveries of the trustworthiness of the New Testament shows how that region grew through various different families for centuries to come, all because of the gospel that Paul preached here. And he had to face demons in the process. So now let's look at the third aspect here in Acts chapter 13. We'll read verses 13 through 43, where Paul's first recorded synagogue sermon takes place. So it says here, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch, which is now named after Antiochus. This is in uh, Poseidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any words of encouragement, now remember, this is a synagogue sermon for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God. So he's now responding to God fearing Gentiles. Remember, in some regions, they would let Gentiles come into the synagogue. So he says to these God-fearing people, listen, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people 
great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after, and it says here, and, then, and, and, uh, and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then it says in verse 21, then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. Verse 22, and when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to unite. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophet, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. And many days, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God has promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of God. Therefore, he says also in another Psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he, but he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man's forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Verse 40, beware therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As it went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism, Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Wow, so there is a lot here in verses 13 through 43. So Paul and Barnabas here traveled alongside the southern coast of Asia Minor. So this is about a 100-mile journey through the rough terrain of the Taurus Mountain Range. So that's another thing is, you know, you go from one part to the next, to one region to the next in his first missionary journey. This was brutal. Matter of fact, right now, my family and I are watching, you know, um, the world's toughest um, 
with Bear Girls um, contest. It's called the Eco Challenge. And they're going through Fiji, one of the islands. And it's 11 day, just intense, intense uh, battleground for like 60 some odd teams. And it got me thinking, just thinking here, Paul and Barnabas, you know, they had to learn um, how to get through uh, certain terrain. And God raised up a lot of people to help them get from point A to point B. And of course, travel back then was a lot more difficult than it is today. Now notice Perga, this was a large city of Pamphylia. It was a coastal province of Asia Minor that received many shipments from uh, Italia. So Perga had um, a 14,000 seat theater. So put that in perspective. Even now when you walk into you know, a grand coliseum or of some sort, you know, uh, you know, a seating arena, 14,000 is a lot. And it had an advanced aqueduct system and it erected a massive temple to Artemis. Now, Luke mentions uh, there being Jews from Pamphylia on the day of Pentecost, if you go back to Acts 2 verse 10. So we know that there were Jewish people that would travel from this region and they would go to Jerusalem. So again, there's a Jewish population here, but notice the size and scope of this theater in honor of Artemis. Now, we're mentioned here by Luke, Antioch, and Poseidon. Now, it's likely Paul and Barnabas, they used their connections with Sergius Paulus, who's mentioned in verse 7 and 12, to travel in this area. This is significant because you just think of the logistics and the connections that they had with people to get from point A to point B, as I mentioned earlier. Now, Antioch was considered the most important Roman colony in Asia Minor and housed an imperial sanctuary devoted to the emperor cult. So this kind of shows you why God was sending Paul and Barnabas to these areas because they were infiltrated by different doctrines and they, they were populated by a bunch of people, remember, that were in syncretism, paganism, different forms, Jewish mysticism. And now we're told here that John leaves them. So no one knows for certain why John abruptly in this environment leaves during the missionary journey. I believe personally, again, when you look at context, it was very overwhelming for John. I think just coming through that terrain, 100 miles to get to this region, seeing how paganistic, seeing this, these altars that were for, for these deities, I think it was overwhelming to him. And so he bailed on them. Now, Paul will later obviously express his discontent for John in Acts chapter 15. So we'll touch on that in the next few episodes here on the podcast. Um, and it will cause a feud between, of course, that the iconic feud between Paul and Barnabas, and they will split as a result. Now, notice they went into the synagogue. Now, Paul would regularly do this, and we'll see that continually throughout the book of Acts. He will regularly go as is his custom, we're told, to go into the synagogue to preach the gospel to the Jews as long as they would listen to him. But it would get to a point where he'd realize, I need to start shifting my focus to people like the Athenians we see in Acts chapter 17. Now, after reading the, uh, from the Law and the Prophets, which was customary, people said, hey, does anybody have a word of encouragement or to give a sermon? Now, it was customary, according to the Mishnah, and writings from Josephus to have men of prestige or, you know, educated men who would come to expound on the scripture reading. And so the rulers of the synagogue, they asked Paul to give a message to the people. So this shows that there was respect that the rulers had for Paul and Barnabas. And it also shows that they had some insight about who Paul was, that he had member training. He was a celebrity. Now, of course, the conversion made him more controversial, but this was a man who studied under Gamaliel in Jerusalem. 
This was a man who knew the scriptures far better than anybody in that city, perhaps in the Roman providence and all the synagogues, including even people in the Sanhedrin. So what does Paul do in verse 16? He stands up and he motions with his hands. And he starts speaking to them. So Paul, remember he, in this, as I read, uh, you know, his sermon in the synagogue, he gives a summary of Israel's history up to this, uh, up to God's promise that he'd given, you know, King David, he, that you see that in verses 16 through 25. And he talks about God's deliverance was a sign of his covenant and also his protection of Israel. Then he mentions the seven nations in the land of Canaan. This is important because he's reading from Deuteronomy 7 verse 1, which reads, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And then he mentions this 450 years. Now, remember, Paul is not exact. He's just summarizing the time that the Hebrews were in Egypt. If you go to Genesis 15, verse 13, 40 years in the wilderness in Numbers chapter 14, verses 33 through 34. And then you add about 10 years conquering the land to possess it in Joshua chapter, you know, chapter 14. So it's not exactly 450 years, but he's just describing how God moved into their lives. And then in verse 21, he transitions and talks about Saul, that they wanted a king. Remember, Paul's referring to Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 16, and the promise God gave David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 through 16, of the Messiah coming from his ancestral line. You go back to Psalm 89. That's the royalty, the priesthood psalm. Then you mention, you know, in, in, in this te- that Paul's giving these teachings, if you go to, to, to Jeremiah, where Jeremiah specifically writes in chapter 23, verse, in, verse 5 and 6, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. It says in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteous. So these are things that Paul is sharing with them in the fulfillment of Christ because he says, as Jesus now has promised, God of Israel promised it. He sends the Messiah, his son, who promises it because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures. Later, we see in the writings of the New Testament, Matthew 1, verse 1, Romans 1, verse 3, 2 Timothy 2, 8, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures. So when he says before his coming now, verse 21, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. He's now talking about John, who I believe the synagogue here recognized that John was a prophet. That John's ministry was the beginning of the gospel story, that he was the herald from Isaiah 40. And he says in verse 25, and as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. So the reports of John had traveled far and wide as a prophet. But of course, John had to tell people from time to time, I'm not the Messiah. And so Paul speaks of John's humility and his acceptance that Jesus was the Messiah. I remember I must decrease so he can increase. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John saw himself as an unworthy servant, a prophet, but nonetheless an unworthy servant. And so Paul cautions the audience not to take the same mistake of rejecting the Messiah. As he mentions in verses 26 through 28, how the chief priests did that. The members of the Sanhedrin did that. And many of the Jews in Jerusalem So they go to Pilate, he says, the Jewish leaders, 
They look to Pilate, the governor of Judea, to give a consent to have Jesus Christ crucified. And then, of course, he says this was fulfilled in condemning him, meaning to crucify him, to bury him in reference to Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 4. So you notice how Paul is handling the Jewish scriptures. And he's showing them how Christ came to fulfill these things. In verses 29 through 31, Paul will later expound more and more detail as we have a little snippet, you know, here in these three verses about the confessional, about the resurrection, about the death, burial, and resurrection. You see that in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5, where Jesus was crucified. Jesus was buried in the tomb. God raised him from the dead. Jesus was seen by many. And then in verses 32 through 37, Paul will validate the resurrection of Jesus by citing three Old Testament messianic passages. Then he says here in this synagogue sermon, they took Jesus down from the tree. Now what he's doing here is he's pulling from Deuteronomy 21, 22 and 23. The language that he's using, he's not just describing an event that's not based on scripture. It's based on scripture that actually happened in history. He's pulling from Deuteronomy 21, where Paul would later reference Jesus took the curse by dying on the tree in Galatians 3, 13 through 14. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming cursed for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. That's what he's conveying, my friends to these Jews in the synagogue. And then he says in verse 32, and we bring you the good news. So Paul affirms the prophetic scriptures of Jesus's death and resurrection. Again, he cites Psalm 2, 7 through 9. He's he's quoting Deuteronomy 21. He's quoting from Psalm 22. He's quoting from Isaiah 53, verse 9. This is amazing sermon. This shows you the level of intellect that Paul had, and not only that, but since his conversion in Acts chapter 9, how he was able to go back to the Jewish scriptures and see Christ's fulfillment in them. And then he says in verse 34, and from the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. So he, ref- he references in full circle, goes back to the Davidic covenant that holds that the Messiah will forever reign on the throne. Again, 2 Samuel 7, 14 through 16. You can check that out. 2 Chronicles 17, 4 through 15. And he says, it's been said of the Messiah, you will not let your Holy One die, right? Be corrupted. Who is he quoting from? David in Psalm 16, verse 10, which is what Peter quoted in Psalm or excuse me, in Acts chapter 2, verse 27. This is fascinating too, just by the way, as a little insight, because it shows that Paul was aware of this sermon, I believe, that Peter had given. And then in verse 36, it says, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. So Peter gave the, 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 the same references in Psalm 2, verse 27, in, in, in Psalm 16, verse 10, on the day of Pentecost. And King David prophesied, of the resurrection of the Messiah. And Paul is telling them to this day that he came, that he died, but he conquered sin and death. Go to 1 Kings 15. He'll later talk about that. Now, when you see in verse 38, where he says, let it be known as you therefore brothers, uh, that through this man, there's forgiveness of sins. This is the first recorded reference of Paul articulating the doctrine of justification. It's the Greek word, dakeo, where God declares a sinner righteous on the basis of the death, burial, and resurrection 
and ascension of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, Paul will later expound on justification in his many letters to the church. You can see that specifically in Romans chapter 3, 21 through 26, chapter 5, verse 1, Galatians 2, verse 16. This is significant because, again, we get little sound bites in this sermon that he's giving. But then, of course, we have his rich letters that he writes to the church expounding on these doctrinal uh, positions or the tenets of the faith that no one was able to comprehend or understand and it wasn't until God raises up Paul. So by this point in time that the Jews are receiving this message, they've never heard anything like this. And the amazing thing is, is as he talks about in verse 40 and 41, these scoffers and not to be like them, or at least you yourself will perish. Paul is showing great discernment and therefore he's warning these people. He's warning the audience that there is a coming judgment. And if you persist in rebellion, it will not end well for you. And so after all the messages and after all the prophets and all the passages from the Jewish scripture that he quotes from, he gives them Habakkuk 1 verse 5. And of course, as they went out, the people begged. They wanted to hear more the next Sabbath. And remember, devote, devout, excuse me, converts to Judaism, that's proselytes, followed Paul and Barnabas. So many responded to the gospel message and had a great desire to continue to learn from Paul and from Barnabas. And then in our final passage here, the reception and rejection to the gospel. That is so true even to this day, my friends, because it says here by Luke, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered. So from that point in which Paul preached his first synagogue sermon to not even a week later, the whole city's gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was Paul speaking about? And they were reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles for so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed, the Greek word here means enrolled or inscribed to eternal life. That's the life in the age to come. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But notice here in verse 50, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Wow. So many people went home and they tell of the great words that Paul and Barnabas shared in the synagogue. And it results in a large crowd showing up the following Sabbath. Now remember, as I gave you context of this environment, notice how receptive people were and interested to the gospel. Now, Luke describes here in verse 45 how the Jews talked abusively about Paul and Barnabas in order to discredit him. So remember, he was encountering the demon that was using Elymas, Bar-Jesus. And now he has these people who are reviling. So there were Jews in that community that were defiant. And again, that's a track record for many Jews. Now, Paul and Barnabas attempt to preach the gospel to the Jews, God's chosen people, but instead they rejected the message. But this was what's amazing about Paul, and this is insight for us as we look at scripture like this. 
you're going to have people who are going to make fun of you, put you down when you preach the gospel, when you share the gospel, when you do what God has called you to do, when you are bold and you're not ashamed. But like Paul, we are to be steadfast and we are to find ways to continue to reach people regardless of how they treat us or they treat the name of Jesus. Romans 1, 16, Romans 9, verse 1 through 5, Romans 10, 1 through 3. Read them, my friends. Read the book of Romans and see the steadfastness, the boldness we are supposed to have. Notice he says he, have, he has made light. He has made you a light, he says. What Paul's doing here is he's referencing Isaiah 49, verse 6, because he wants to demonstrate that the light of the Messiah is present and he wants to use you. But when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, many of them, glorifying the Lord. So salvation is determined by God. It's a gift by God, we're told. And you and I receive the gift of salvation freely by putting our faith and trust in him. And that's what they do. But of course, as we're told, not only do people receive, but people reject. The leading class of Jews, they recruit God-fearing women of high class to persuade their husbands, magistrates more than likely to turn against Paul and Barnabas and to remove them from the city. And this is amazing, my friends, because even as we're faced with some opposition today, of course, in other parts of the world, it's far worse than it is here in America. But despite the opposition, many Jews and Gentiles went out to spread the good news. They spread the gospel. Now, this sign here, we're told in verse 51, when they shook off the dust from their feet against them, Jews would shake off the dust from their garments after walking through Gentile lands. And it was a way of symbolizing the removal of impurities from unclean people. So Paul and Barnabas, they're using this gesture on the Jews as a sign that they're impure. And by rejecting the message of the gospel, they're not going to associate with them. You go back to Matthew 10, verse 14, you see that, that occurrence with the disciples. And so they moved on and the disciples were told here and in the end, verse 52, they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So Paul and Barnabas, they didn't leave the Poseidon Antioch discouraged. John Mark bailed on them. The Jews were in an uproar, causing opposition, saying a bunch of vile things about them, but they left with the power and the joy of the Holy Spirit to move on and reach others with the gospel. And that is a reminder to all of us, no matter what you are going through, you need to trust in the Lord because God has a mighty calling for your life. You think, Jay, well, you know, I, I don't write books and I don't speak in front of populations, you know, large populations of people. And, you know, I don't remember the last time I shared my faith. Listen, as you and I join together, like we're doing right now, if you're watching or listening, is to get in God's word and be convicted and inspired and empowered to do the work that God has called us to do. So if God has called you to reach five people in the next year, do that. If God is calling you to say, hey, Go through this podcast with a few people. Go through the Bible with a few people. That's it. You don't have to stand on a stage in order to have a great impact. Get a few people. Or maybe right now you start in your life to be more devoted to what God is doing and you need to just start here. Whatever it is, my friends. But like Paul and Barnabas here, they were faithful. And when you and I are opposed, when people ridicule us, we're to rejoice. We're to rejoice. We're to be blessed for being persecuted for his namesake, the Bible says. So my friends, that's it. In a nutshell, that's Acts 13. I hope that encourages you guys 
as we continue to go verse by verse through the book of Acts. Again, if you've missed any previous episodes, you can always go check things out on our website, standstrongministries.org. And we have a bunch of other resources there. If you're praying for us, we appreciate those prayers. And let me just tell you guys, it takes money to produce this type of, of, of podcast and to put it out there for the masses. And so we encourage you guys to prayerfully consider how you can donate to continue to fund this ministry. You can drop us some financial support. If you go to standstrongministries.org, you can click on the, the donate button. You can schedule it out if you want us to be able to do that on a monthly basis, or you can send us a check to a PO box address that's also there on the website. So thank you guys for listening. And until next time, Keep standing strong, my friends.